Hello, friends of the podcast. Welcome back to Inconceivable Media. I'm Cam. And I'm Jordan. Yes, that's right. Miles is not here today, but we have another mutual friend of ours. And uh, Jordan is going to be doing something a little special for us today. Isn't that right? Yeah, I've been asked to come in and do a dramatic reading. A spooky dramatic reading. (laughs) So what is it that we're going to be reading today? So today we're going to be keeping with the theme of the episode. We're going to be doing a dramatic reading of a creepypasta, an online, usually first-person perspective, ghost story. These are meant to be engaging and interesting and really kind of make you feel unnerved. Mmm, I see. Okay, so what do you have in store for us today? So this is a little bit of a Canadian flavored one uh, about something strange that they found on a construction project and the effects that it has on one of the project supervisors. It's called The Concrete Below the River. It's getting so that I need to tell someone about this. I'm posting it here to limit my liability. I mean, it makes sense, right? Here online. I'm just telling a story. So you can believe what you want. I know what I know to be true, and that's good enough for me. Actually, that's not quite true. I don't know what's true or what I believe anymore. I just know that I haven't been able to sleep for a few weeks now. I work for a small consulting firm hired for project management on the Edmonton, Alberta Valley Line LRT construction. I was happy when our company was awarded the contract, but with what I know now, I wouldn't accept any amount of money in the world to do this job anymore. I should give you a little background. I'm a third-generation Edmontonian. My grandfather originally moved here from St. Paul as a child in the 30s with his family. My dad owned a successful development company, so naturally, when I graduated from the U of A, I took over the project management wing. Again, we were a small in-house company, so when we were tapped by the city of Edmonton to undertake the very large infrastructure project that was expanding the LRT, we were ecstatic. I should also note that as a lifelong Edmontonian with roots going back here in this city, I know that this thing is not supposed to be there. Everyone knows it's not supposed to be there. So March 15th is when most people found out about it. A concrete mass the size of a car under the riverbed in the path of the Tawatana Bridge that is being constructed. Our press release simply focused on any future traffic delays based on having to prolong our operation. Hundreds of thousands of people hearing the news and going, hmm, well, that's interesting. They're all assuming that finding random things underground is normal when you're excavating to build a bridge. They're assuming we have that all under control. But what if it was different? If we uncovered a mass grave, would it make people wonder what it was doing there? What if we uncovered an unexploded bomb? Or a dinosaur skeleton? Or a treasure trove of ancient artifacts? What would it take for people to look up from their timmies and ask, What's that doing there? It was actually the 12th of March that we found the thing. 
It took us almost a week until we decided to let on to the general public what we had found. And even then, we didn't say much about it. It was Monday morning on the 12th of March. I dropped my kids off at daycare and was merging onto the Henday Freeway from Sherwood Park when I got a call from Bill, who was on the dig site. Hey, I need you on site. I could sense some panic in his voice. I was concerned there'd been a workplace accident. Oh, I was just heading to the office. What's up? I told Bill, speaking louder than usual so that my voice would be picked up by the Bluetooth in my truck. I don't know how to explain this. I'll just have to show you when you get here. Get here quick, was all that he said to me. And I felt a sharp flash of pain in my bowels. Since I'd taken on this project, I'd been experiencing it more and more. And I rushed to the site, jumped out of my truck, meeting Bill in the staging area near the muster point. What? What is it? I pleaded with him as I walked up to him. He was with some of the other agents from the company that we had hired to do the cofferdam work. They were just poring over, looking over the reports and drafts. Look, I don't know how to explain this, but we found something in the riverbed as he shrugged and started leading me towards the bank. Um, okay, what? I thought he was going to say it was a body. That's all we needed, some sort of murder investigation to tie us up. I mean, it would be sad for the victim and everything, but all of the companies involved would have to pay a penalty if the completion deadline was extended. It would just be a huge headache. It's a body, isn't it? Fuck, I knew it, uh, as I ran the, my hand down the side of my face. No, it's not a body. It's a big slab of concrete. And I looked out at the water and then back at him. What concrete? I don't see it. Look, it's in the riverbed, right where we were supposed to be constructing one of the supports. Um, and he put his hands on his hips to show that that was it. And honestly, this was worse news than if it was a body. This was definitely going to delay the construction. So can we take it out, I said, hoping that that was the simple solution, that would be all we'd need to do, and we could keep on moving on. No, no, we can't take it out. It's much too big. Uh, it'll mess with all the coffer damming, and it's below the actual riverbed itself. So if we pull it out, it creates a sinkhole. He started walking, and I followed him into his office in one of the rundown modular trailers on site. All right, so how long is this going to take us? Well, it looks like we can incorporate it into the structure. That'd be the easiest solution, as he pulled out some papers and pushed them over to me to take a look at. As I started rifling through them, well, great, let's do that then. Putting on my best shit-eating grin to let him know that I'm all for this. But there's something else I haven't told you about yet. Okay. I don't know why he's giving me the runaround about this. At this point, I just wanted to... Cut to the chase, get down to brass tacks, and have him tell me how much it was going to cost and how much more work we have to do because of this. It's not on any of the geotechnical reports. It's not on any technical drawings. I consulted with our engineers and they say it's not even on any historical drawings. No one remembers anything ever being there. As he gestured to the papers that he'd given me, and I started looking through them and... You're right. 
Yeah, there's nothing in here about this, as I placed the papers back on his desk. So that's it. Why do you have me taking my time out of this? Like, what can we do about this? It's odd. It's strange. And I'm sure you, as all, re- all of the readers and listeners, are... I mean, it's just a block of concrete in the river. What's so weird about a block of concrete in the North Saskatchewan Riverbed? Well, it's a man-made block of concrete that's not on any technical drawing or in any history book. This river, we estimate, began flowing through this area 2,500 years ago. This river carried countless Indigenous people over the centuries. European fur traders and explorers first sailed down it in 1760. The original Fort Edmonton was constructed next to it in 1795. That grew into a town and then into a city. This is a river that never had anything built where a concrete block the size of a car would have just appeared under the riverbed that no one in any of that history had ever noticed. But I didn't think about any of that. I didn't care how it got there. I was just thinking, I have a deadline, and how much money and time do we need to spend to solve this problem? And as I'm thinking about this, Bill speaks up. It's making a sound. What's making a sound? I thought he was talking about his laptop that he was looking at. The big block. It makes a sound. As he starts working on his laptop and he opens up a file from his email. We had some industrial divers down to survey it and shit got a little weird. And he's looking really nervous about this. He's trying to be cool, but immediately they came back up. They both complained that they were really nauseous and maybe they were sick. However, they both felt better once they got back up, so they thought there was maybe some problem with their equipment. They checked everything and everything was all right. They went back down and it happened again. But they pushed through it, set the equipment, and we got some readings. And about this point, he was fumbling with his mouse, trying to open a file. So here, I'll show you this in a sec as his computer chugging along, doing what it does. So the thing is, we get these readings back and, well, I mean, he's looking very frantic and stopping to look at the ceiling, look out the windows. The thing makes a sound. No, not like sound, but a vibration. Uh, Infrasound is what one of the engineers called it. It's really low, like a seven hertz, or just like a vibration kind of a thing. And his computer's still chugging along, turns to look at it. But here, I should say it's not uncommon in construction and engineering for stationary objects to vibrate at some sort of frequency. In fact, the example I can tell you about without getting into too much technical detail would be the example of a suspension bridge that begins to undulate in a wave. And of course, any sort of vibration like that would create sound. And sometimes these vibrations create a larger and larger vibration, uh, constructive interference or positive feedback that eventually destroys whatever is doing the humming. But a concrete block by itself normally does not do this. 
So while it was odd, it was still inside the realm of possibility for me. It could be grounded to something else. So, Bill said, and I wasn't sure where he was going with this. I was a little taken aback, but I wasn't still completely convinced the problem was worth more than just considering how much money do we throw at this to fix it. And once again, Bill, another, so, and then all of a sudden, there's a blaring loud sound from his computer. It had started playing the sound file he was trying to open, and it caused an intensely low but loud distortion to come through his speakers at full volume. I clutched my ears and then my stomach as my stomach just started churning. Bill's just slamming on his computer trying to turn it off. What's that noise? I yelled over the buzzing and he kept clicking to try and close the file. It wouldn't close. I, I can't. And he's fumbling around desperately. I just reached out for the connection for the speakers and violently yanked it out. Thankfully, killing the sound. And we're both standing there panting I feel like I'm about to throw up, nauseous, and Bill's just looking sheepish and embarrassed. We both sit back down and take a deep breath. And I still don't know what to say about this. We sit in some uncomfortable silence, and I'm just waiting for him to tell me more when I realize he doesn't know anything more. We both now know everything that we know. And I'm the project manager, so he's expecting me to give an answer or a solution or start making a plan. And, oh uh, well, so the engineers can't take it out is the only thing I can ask him, and he confirms that. And it's loud? I don't know what to ask as Bill starts shuffling the papers back together into neat little piles on his desk. Well, so did the structural engineer say anything? I ask him as I'm looking out the window. Uh, I got there early. It's a foggy morning and the sun's starting to peek out finally. Well, the engineers are doing a report on it, is what Bill mumbles back. So I guess all that's left for me to do is stand up and I'm eager to get out of here, head back to my office where I'm away from whatever that sound is. I think that the answer will just come to me or maybe this is one of those problems that will solve itself or the engineers will come up with a solution and say that it's so easy, we hadn't thought about this and it'll be just simple routine thing like a dentist pulling a tooth. Maybe the concrete got there from some mistake when they were originally putting up the clover bar footbridge we had demolished to make way for our own construction. Or maybe it was just some fluke, some weird thing, and I don't know. Maybe that it wasn't that there was a man-made concrete block under the riverbed that had absolutely no history and was making this strange low humming. And then the next morning... On the 13th of March, it was a Tuesday, Tuesday, March 13th, alarm goes off, I wake up, but it's not, a. I didn't sleep well and I'm feeling much heavier than the sum of my parts. I drag myself through my morning routine, feeding the kids, getting them ready for daycare, but it's like I'm just going through the motions like puppet on a string. I hadn't slept well at all. 
that block was in my mind all night. The practical items, the cost, the time, the liability. And then there was also the things like, what was it doing there? What, why is it making a sound? Those irrational questions, I also just couldn't get out of my head. I'd only gotten an hour or two of sleep before my alarm went off, but I had the most bizarre dream. I was standing on the riverbank while black clouds covered the sky. In the river, I could see a light. It was the block, glowing an intense gray light, like the sun through clouds on a bleak, dreary day. And the hum, the hum it was emitting, was pulling me towards it like a magnet. I walked into the water, and I could breathe under the water. All right. And the cube continued to pull me towards it, and I became a part of the cube. And when I was a part of the cube, I felt I knew I was a part of the earth. And there is an intense sadness. And this image of emaciated people all in perfectly formed lines, wearing what looked like gas masks, but otherwise naked. And they were, I don't know how to put this, you know in a dream when you just know something to be true. They were all facing an imminent death. And this wasn't a comforting release, move on to the afterlife kind of death. It was a violent death. And there is this intense fear all of these people felt. It was a bizarre dream. But I had to drive to work. And it was one of those drives where when you get where you're going, you're shaken because you don't remember a thing about how you got there. You, you wouldn't remember if you ran someone over. But anyways, I'm at the site. I walk towards the bank, donning my hard hat, looking for Bill. And I find him. He's speaking with a group of planners, pointing out something to them on all of the drafts. And then he lets them go, and we head into his office again. I called you like six times, he said, frowning at me. I looked at my phone and, indeed, six missed calls that I somehow didn't hear through that sleepless night or even notice when I woke up. Well, shit, I'm sorry. As I start apologizing, he just waves me off. He's got some information for me. So we got the engineering report back. They are trying to say... Maybe there's something wrong with the equipment, or it's background interference, or one of the machines operating in the vicinity caused this misread or whatever, Bill said as he was peeking through some space that he was making in his Venetian blinds looking out towards the river. Yeah, but you don't believe that, I said trying to get a read on what he was thinking. All he said back was, it's getting louder. <laughs> what do you mean, it's getting louder? 
I don't know what to do. I mean, is this some bad early April Fool's joke that he's trying to pull on me? It's louder. I can hear it. I couldn't hear it before, but then yesterday evening, around 7 p.m., I was still here trying to wrap everything up, working on some things, and I swore then that I could hear it. And then he turns back and starts looking through the blinds again. Either this is an overly elaborate practical joke, or Bill's starting to lose it. So, Bill, you know, you've been working pretty hard, and I think, and he snaps back to me, looks at me, I know I can hear it. This thing, whatever the hell it is, as he turns back again to the window. I'm really worrying about Bill now. I'd worked on several projects with him between our respective country, uh, not countries, companies. I'd met his wife, his kids. We had times where we saw each other more than we saw our own families. I had never known him to be this way. But I was wondering if perhaps maybe I didn't know him as much as I thought I did. All right, Bill, what do you think it is? And that snaps him out of it a little bit. He turns back to me and just slumps down at his desk. I don't know. But anyways, the engineers say they can incorporate it at minimal additional costs, but we are going to have to talk to the city because it's going to take longer and we're going to miss the opening date. And we looked at each other and we both know that's money out of our pockets now. A lot of money. And thinking about how much money we're missing out on now, that pushes all of those intangibles. Why is it that it pushes all that right out of the way? Because we got to think about bills and food on the table now. So I tell Bill, look, I'll talk to them. No one knew that this was going to happen, so maybe we can escape the penalty. I'll see what I can do. I pat him on the back and he keeps staring at his desk. The rest of the day goes by as normal, but that night, once again, I'm dreaming of the cube. This time, I was on the North River Bank. It was nighttime in the summer. The air was a void. It's one of those days where like, there's no wind and the temperature and humidity are at that perfect level where you feel you're in an absence of an atmosphere. Everything is hushed. You don't even feel your arm moving through the air. The leaves are still and every blade of grass, there's no breeze, nothing moves at all. The air doesn't feel cool entering your nostrils. There are no smells of hot pavement from the city or tastes of sweet dew weeping from the trees. Just nothing. There's the reflections of lights from the buildings downtown, the campus and high-rise towers of Saskatchewan Drive, all of those reflecting on the mirror-still surface of the river. Which is wrong. The river is never still. When you stand next to it, you realize it's not the shallow and tranquil picture you see in your car window driving alongside of it. 
its fast-moving white tips and churning currents. It's not a pencil line drawn on a map, but a deep expanse cutting the city in half, almost impossibly wide. And in the dream, I could just walk up to it. The banks were soft and sandy like that of a still lake. And as I walked into the middle of the river, it was only an inch deep, and the riverbed was smooth like asphalt. And out of the river rose the cube, like a monolith, like the monolith on the album cover of Who's Next? So naturally, I disrobe and I go to piss on the cube, just like the who pissed on the monolith, but a door opens and I walk in. And inside is like an ice rink. It's cold and white and artificial, except the only thing that wasn't white was this small piece of writing in the corner where two of these walls inside of the monolith met. It looked like it was right next to me, but I walked for hours to get to this corner. And when I got to it, it just said, what now? And I awake to the sound of my phone ringing in the kitchen. I rush down to the stairs to answer it. <sighs> Hello, I stammer out shocked out of my stupor, and on the phone is Faraj, one of Bill's structural engineers. We've got an emergency on site, and we need you there right away, he said seriously and deliberately. It was early in the morning, so the roads were empty. Dark, too early for even the DJs to start their morning shows. The day had, news day hadn't started, and maybe, whatever happened, there was still time for me to get down there, handle it, and make sure nothing gets blown out of proportion. I pull into the contractor lot, and Faraj looks like his even self. Perfectly dressed, checked blue shirt, gray slacks, polished shoes, everything pressed, perfect. You certainly would not know he'd been sprung awake at 3 a.m. in the morning. The police had called him to wake him up. There were two unmarked cars on the lot as well. Oh shit, what is it? It's Bill. Something happened with Bill. And I expected that Farage would say a little bit more. Clearly there was more that had to be said, but he just led me towards the trailer. I opened the door and immediately stepped forth into blood. <laughs> and now Farage starts filling me in a little bit more. What the policeman had said was that Bill went outside and one of the securities, they had seen him covered in blood. He was screaming and he ran towards the river. As he pointed at the river, I nodded, hoping that Farage would reveal a little bit more. He had said, the policeman had said that he, Bill, had cut himself. But I guess securities grabbed him before he could go into the water. He probably wouldn't have been able to swim in there. And as he checked his phone, I'm going to go now and come back later in the day when I have some meeting time open. He holstered his phone back. 
the policemen want to talk to you, and you can just take over the situation for me. And, all right, that's fine. You go ahead, Farage. You got to go home, get your own stuff done. As I sat down at Bill's desk and began to send emails. I wanted to go to Bill and find out how he was doing. Find out what he was doing. But I'm a professional. I've got responsibilities that I have to take care of first. Emails to everyone in public relations and human resources in terms of not releasing statements to the media. Emails to Bill's colleagues about who is going to liaise with me regarding our responsibilities together. Emails to the company that had the proper PPE to clean up blood. And workers were starting to trickle in now. Randall came in, who was one of the second in commands for Bill. He was filling in from taking his place. I told him we'd have to work in a different room. Uh, there was essence of Bill all over the floor still. Finally, around quarter to nine, I was finally able to sneak out, take a drive to the hospital. Bill was bandaged up behind a curtain and sedated. I walked in and he closed his eyes tight. He wouldn't look at me. I don't know if he was ashamed or what. I sat down next to his hospital bed without saying a word. It wouldn't stop. It kept showing me things. It kept showing me everyone was going to die. It wanted me to do it. <coughs> Wait, Bill, what was it showing you? I don't know. Just death. Everyone dying. I can't explain it. I saw people. I didn't see them dying, but I knew they were dying. I knew they were going to die. And as he gasps, it sends a shiver down my spine because I can't help but remember my dreams from the other nights. Bill, what do you mean it wanted you to do it? And I slowly grabbed his arm and maybe I squeezed a little too much. He pulled away from me. I don't know. I don't know. It just felt like it was pulling me toward it. And I don't know. I just knew. I knew if I went in there, it would cause everyone dying. And I couldn't stop myself. I tried to stop myself. I thought if I ended it, then I couldn't do it. But it stopped me. And it pulled me. And I had to. I had to. And he started breaking down. He started weeping. And I could feel my face flushing. I felt myself. My face was burning up. Butterflies in my stomach. Like when you drive over a dip at speed. Or 
a horrible sinking feeling that something was terribly wrong and much larger than me, the crew, the city, maybe this world. Bill pulls at my shirt cuff. Just tell me I'm not crazy. What do I say? Was he crazy? Was I crazy? Were we both crazy? Or maybe even worse, neither of us were crazy. And there was a cube under the river that was calling to us to lead us to destruction. Look, I gotta go, Bill. And I slipped out of the hospital room. When I was back on site, the restoration crew had just finished cleaning Bill's office. I sat down at his desk, thumbed through the geotechnical reports, the structural engineer's reports, and then I found the report from the industrial driver, industrial divers. There was some ultrasonic pictures of the mass included, and something in one of them caught my eye. In the photos of the cube itself, there appeared to be something etched. I wasn't sure. I looked at it a little more closely and it started to look like a small group of letters. I thought it was just a watermark on the slide, but I pulled out a magnifying glass and I took a closer look and it wasn't a watermark. Etched on the side of the cube were it's the question, what now? The picture slipped out of my hands because I, I couldn't believe it. I must be mistaken. Or maybe earlier I'd seen this photo before and that's why I dreamed in the, inside of that monolith those two words, what now? That must have been it. But then... My train of thought grinds to a halt as I notice a buzzing that I hadn't heard before. It must have been from one of the machines outside. And I stepped up from the desk, took a look out of the trailer, walked across the yard. I climbed up to one of the cabs of one of the excavation equipment. And I talked to the operator who was working there. I told him, hey, shut it down. I went around to all of the active equipment. It, I shut the whole, the whole damn site down. And I could still hear that buzzing. I even went around. I checked every generator. Every single generator was shut down. There was nothing. But I could still hear that buzzing. I turned and I checked. And I realized... The buzzing was coming from the river. And it was getting louder. I went and I grabbed the, for the foreman on site and asked him, do you hear anything right now? He said, no, there's nothing. It's dead quiet other than the sounds of being in the river valley. There's some wildlife. But I can't hear any of that. I just hear this buzzing and it's getting louder. You don't hear anything? 
And I can barely hear his response as he's just shaking his head at me. No. So I run back into the office and I shut the door. And there's this buzzing sound. It's getting louder and no one else hears it. And I can't help but think of Bill. And I don't want to meet the same fate as Bill. I tell the foreman, all right, get back to work, get everything, get started again. And I phone it in for the day. I act like I'm sick as a dog and I head back home. And that night, I do everything I can to not fall asleep. I don't want the dream of the cube. I leave my bedroom and creep into the living room. Once I'm away from the river, everything is silent. I'm in my living room, sipping coffee on the couch, surfing the internet, doing everything I can to keep myself awake. But it doesn't work. I drift off to sleep. And I'm in the desert. And I'm walking, not knowing where I'm going, not knowing where I am. So I stop, and I look down, and I notice something. A tiny cube. A tiny cube of concrete. So I pick it up and I hold it in my hands and it is smooth and it is cool. And it begins to grow. Buildings rise up around me. Cities that shape a landscape. I'm still holding the cube in my hands, and it becomes heavy, too heavy, and I drop it. And I'm standing in a small stream. The stream begins to grow with the cube, and the cube sinks into the stream. And it was so heavy, and it sank to the bottom of the stream. But the river that the stream becomes, continues to grow. And the cube continues growing heavier, and it sinks underneath the bottom of the riverbed. And somehow, I am now floating above it all, and I feel only this great misery that I had dropped the cube. I feel this weight of responsibility that I was supposed to hold on to the cube, but I failed the cube, that I am a failure. And I realize that I am every person on earth, and I have failed the cube by dropping the cube. And somehow, under the river, under the riverbed, I can see the cube turning red, the cube is angry. And as it is in dreams sometimes, I come to know that if I kill myself, that if I kill humanity, it would satisfy the cube. The cube would be happy. The cities would go away, and it would just be a small cube in the desert again. But I wouldn't kill myself. I wouldn't kill humanity. So the cube was angry 
and it became more and more angry. And it hummed louder and louder and louder until I hear my alarm. It's now Thursday, March 15th. I drive to the work site and begin preparations for the media. All we were telling them was that there'd be more traffic delays because that's all that people care about. Not where the cube came from or why it's there or why it's humming or why it wants to destroy us all. Just the fact that the bridge will take longer and that it means more traffic delays. And the public goes, hmm, that's interesting. And they move on. I go into the office and Faraj comes in behind me. He's briefing me on the updates. But something is strange. Faraj, his usual even tenor is off. His usual perfectly pressed shirt has wrinkles. He's sweating. He has bags under his eyes. So they'll start work to incorporate it into the bridge structure, is what Faraj tells me. And I say, Faraj, can you hear that? And Faraj nods. And then he tells me, the industrial divers and some of the crew as well. And it's getting louder. So I ask Faraj, when we build it into the bridge, will that stop? I don't know, is all that he can give me. And that's where we are today. We're building a cube into the bridge, like it's nothing, like it doesn't make a sound, like it won't take over our dreams and our actions, and that it doesn't have some hell-bent will to get rid of us. We're just going to build a bridge on top of it and hope that eventually anyone near it, anyone who crosses the bridge, anyone in the city, the country, the world, doesn't hear it humming. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Jordan. Oh, no problem. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes for everything for today. Jordan will be back and Miles will be with us as well. And we were going to talk about this later this week. So we'll catch you then, everyone. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks for having me here today, Doug. <laughs> no trouble at all. See ya. Bye-bye.